Well, today we wrap up our sermon series um, for this building campaign series titled God's Abounding Grace in Giving. And we've been going through part of a book, a letter in the New Testament, Second Corinthians. And we've been going through chapters eight and nine of Second Corinthians. So turn in your Bible today. We're going to look at chapter nine, verses one through 15. And Paul wrote this letter Second Corinthians for a number of uh, spiritual reasons for to help the church to grow and to mature in the gospel. And in chapters eight and nine, he actually discusses with them a building, not a building campaign, but a a fundraising campaign to bring relief to the the starving um, and neglected Christians in Jerusalem. They they had. Um, left Judaism to become followers of Christ and they were now being ostracized and there was a famine and so widows and orphans were struggling and people were, Christians were hungry. Paul has been raising funds to take to Jerusalem. In the first section we looked at two weeks ago, Paul pointed us to the Macedonian churches just to the north, that's that region just to the north, so that we could see what generous giving looks like. And then last week, we saw that he next points us to Christ himself so that we can see what sacrificial giving looks like. And today, he points us, uh, he shows us what um, generous giving looks like. So let's read 2 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 1. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you. To the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia, that's the region where Corinth is, Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove vain in the matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we will be humiliated to say nothing of you. For being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. and Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up in his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely and he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all of your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval, that's the Macedonians, approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. 
thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the word of God. The, the, <clears throat> the flower fades. Um, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word. I say that every week and somehow I didn't get that right. Okay. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are all sufficient, God, who gives us all things that we may be generous. You even lavish us with your scripture, your word, and you lavish us with the Holy Spirit. We need him, his presence in our lives. Even here now in this very moment, we pray. Amen. Well, a good friend of mine was recently called to pastor a church in Florida, and he realized uh, pretty early on that there was a problem in this congregation of of the gospel not really pressing deep within some of the people in his congregation as they began uh, to say things like this. A longtime member came and said, I'm not giving another penny to this church until we get a second cross for the sanctuary. Now, I don't know if the first one wasn't good enough or if there was a blank spot on the wall or whatever. Whatever her thinking was, she declared her reluctance to give until some need of hers was was met. Now, I don't know why she was reluctant. Perhaps the prior pastor didn't go to her daughter's play. Maybe someone else in the church had really said something mean or cruel to her. And and, um, for whatever it is, I don't know why she was reluctant to give. We all have many different reasons for being reluctant in our giving. Last week, we talked about selfishness, right? Many Christians in America have become deeply infected with consumerism. We want for us and we pile up and we store up and we hoard just like our neighbors around us who don't know the Lord. In many ways, you don't look different from them. We also know that we can be reluctant because is it not true we can at times doubt God's provision for us. If we really were to give a lot away, then perhaps that would put us in a position where we are now lacking. And so we store up and we store up. Here's the deal. Whatever your reasons for your reluctance, thankfully there's one antidote. What's the antidote? The gospel. Wherever the gospel of God's grace and his abounding love towards sinners like you and me becomes more and more pressed into our lives. We become forgiving people. We become sacrificial and generous in our giving in all sorts of ways. When the gospel flows through our veins, we really do trust God to meet our every need. We really come to see that his Eyes are upon his children and that we never really will be in true, genuine lack. He cares for his children. Now, in our passage, Paul tells us there's a way that we can know if the gospel has taken up residence in us. What is it? Well, we will be cheerful givers. Let me ask you this. Are you a cheerful giver? How you answer that says a lot about your spiritual condition, about your maturity as a follower of Christ, about how deep the gospel has penetrated into your soul and into your life and into your living. If you don't give cheerfully, chances are you give reluctantly or under compulsion. 
Paul cautions against this in our passage. The first five verses, Paul explains that I'm sending Titus. Don't worry, he's coming. He's going to be a help to you. He's going to help to make sure that when he comes, that when I come a little bit later to make the, the offering, you, that, that it won't be, you won't be um, compelled by it. This will be, uh, as he says in verse 5, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be, a, be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. In verse 7, he says he doesn't want people to give reluctantly or under compulsion. See, if Paul were to show up and they were behind on their giving, they would look at Paul as kind of like a tax man. Someone who's there to, to wring the giving out of them. And perhaps their, their giving wouldn't really be joyful and, and given uh, with uh, their own will, but rather under compulsion. So Paul says our giving must be willing and with joy. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. That's what he tells us. More on this later. But God loves to see his children transformed by the grace that he lavishes upon them. And when his grace is lavished upon us and is received by us and is worked into our lives, we do give willingly and cheerfully, not out of duty, but out of delight. And so in this passage, we even see that God delights to cheerfully give us of all that we need. In verse 14 and 15, we see Paul, Paul reminds the Corinthians and us of the surpassing grace of God upon them. And then in verse 15, he concludes by saying, thanks be to God. The, the word thanks there is charis. It's the same word grace. Grace be to God. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible, inexpressible gift. See, our giving is to be cheerful because God's surpassing grace is upon us. We're going to look at that. There's a number of reasons Paul gives us. We're going to look at three of them. So we'll go through them quickly. First, we're to be cheerful givers because God rewards our giving. We can give bountifully knowing that God will uh, rewards our giving with a bountiful harvest. Now, this is something in the Bible that we see that can be kind of problematic, uh, this teaching. But what we see is that when God talks about giving, it's usually always associated with some sort of Reward. Earlier, Sally read from, from Malachi chapter 3. That's in the Old Testament. And, and God speaks through the prophet. He says, bring the full tithe. Make generous contributions. And God says, test me. See if I will not open the, heavens, uh, the windows of heavens for you and, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And then, <clears throat> of course, Jesus said that anyone who gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones will not go unrewarded. And, and so Paul says here, he says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Now, what does he mean by that? I mean, is giving an investment in which we can count on our financial return? And if so, that's like better than the stock market, right? Maybe not lately, but yeah, but you know what I'm saying. You know, some Christian ministries, that's how they teach this. Yeah, they will, they, you see them on TV, and they will say, you just need to sow a seed of faith. Perhaps you've heard that. You just send some money into us, uh, and then you just, if you have enough faith, uh, you're going to get even more back. Unfortunately, many people fall into this trap, and they, and they give, and yeah, some of them might get lucky and get a return, but this is not what... Paul is speaking about here. We hear those things and we become offended. We, it's, it's, uh, 
something that rubs us wrong. But the truth is, we must not throw out the baby with the bathwater. As I said, the Bible is full of talk about giving and rewards. God rewards us not only for godly living, but also for godly giving. So, but we need to understand this. With regards to our giving and rewards, we need to get one thing straight, and that's this. God's rewards are always gifts of his grace, not payment for services rendered. Right? God's rewards are always gifts of his grace, not payment for services rendered. Paul uses a proverb. You sow a little, you reap a little. Uh, you sow a lot, you reap a lot. Paul uses this proverb uh, to, to show how, how foolish it is to sow sparingly with regards to, to our giving. He wants us to imagine a farmer having a barn full of seed and, and, and a big field out before him. And he doesn't sow the field with the seed. He keeps it in the barn or, or he leaves some behind for whatever reason. He doesn't plant the field. Now, most of us here don't have a farming background, so let me explain. Other farmers would call this man stupid or foolish or both. Who in their right mind would hoard seed in their barn and not sow it to the maximum? You know, no, no farmer sows all of his seed in the ground and, and say, oh, wow, what a loss. You know, they don't see an empty seed bin or a barn and think, gosh, I, what a loss. I just wasted all that seed. No, a farmer willingly scatters all the seed he has and he trusts that God will bless the sowing and provide for a bountiful harvest. Now, Paul here, he isn't talking about our farming skills. He's talking about our giving towards God's kingdom and and God's kingdom purpose. And he's concerned with people being reluctant to give generously. And and he likens our stinginess in giving to a farmer who sits on seed instead of planting it. When you're stingy with your giving, you think you're being wise, but in fact, you're being foolish. For your heavenly father would rather reward you for generous sowing of the seed than he would reward you with a bountiful harvest. Now, what's the harvest that we would miss out on? Well, it's not necessarily a financial harvest, but I wouldn't rule that out, as we'll see later. God has a way of resupplying his saints when they give generously with all that they need to harvest, to, to sow more. We need to realize, though, is what Paul says in verse 10 is that there is a harvest that God will increase uh, a harvest of righteousness. More on this in a moment. But as we soak in God's abounding grace to us and how he gives to us and how he generously is to us, what we realize is that that works as a spiritual seeds that we sow and we're transformed spiritually with a harvest of righteousness. Now. When you think about your giving, when you, how do you view those resources that you give away? Do you, do you look at them as, as loss or do you look at them as seed to be scattered for a harvest? Do you believe that God will bountifully multiply what you have sown in order to produce a, a harvest, a harvest of righteousness? And are you okay if God actually doesn't give you all of your seed back? If you see that there's a harvest of righteousness produced in you or around you, is a harvest of righteousness more important to you than a barn full of seed? 
And remember, when I'm talking about a barn full of seed, I'm not talking about a, a barn full of seed. <laughs> I'm talking about the assets that God entrusts to us. You know, once Jesus talked about his Im- imminent death in farming terms, in John chapter 12, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's talking about his death to come. My friends, Jesus emptied the barn. He scattered all that he had on the cross. He gave it all. He held nothing back. He knew this principle as he sows his life onto the cross. There will be a harvest. It will bear much fruit. Someday you will die and you'll stand before Jesus. What will you say? But Jesus, look how big my barns are. Look how full they are. You know, that's what the world says. The world says, he who dies with the most toys wins. The Christian holds to the truth that the missionary Jim Elliott spoke of. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The second reason we're to be cheerful givers is that God doesn't focus on amounts, but attitudes. We see this in verse 7 where Paul writes, Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly, under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul tells the church that each person must decide in their own heart what to give. He doesn't want their giving to be coerced. Uh, uh, God looks at that our motives and our attitudes. That's, that's what we're to focus on as we are giving. Are we giving cheerfully? David Garland writes, God who knows and appraises our hearts values only those gifts that come as a free expression of the deepest part of our souls. Gifts given under some sense of external compulsion will always be half-hearted at best. That is why the amount makes no difference if it is given with a glad heart. Now, some of you might be sighing with relief. Whew, all right. I can give generously. I'm going to give. I can give. I can give cheerfully. I'm. I'm going to. I'm going to give five dollars really joyfully. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, I don't think that's really what Paul's getting at, right? I mean, if, especially if you've been with us the last few weeks when we saw the Macedonians. Paul points to them. Their giving is cheerful, but it's also generous and sacrificial. How did it become that way? Well, they they sought the Lord first. Remember that we talked about that. They first went to seek the Lord's will for what they should do as individuals and as a church in giving towards the relief efforts in Jerusalem. It wasn't until after they spent time in prayer and studying scripture and and perhaps bouncing things off of fellow Christians and spending great time meditating upon what God would have them do. It was only then that they went to Paul. And remember what Paul said? They begged Paul for the opportunity to give. I think Paul was like, how can you guys even afford this? You're in extreme poverty. How can you give this way? They, they said that their gift was a was an overflowing uh, gift towards the Christians in Jerusalem. They begged Paul for the opportunity to give. So I don't really think that's it. All right. I don't really think that at the end of the day, if you just, you know, give just a, a little bit towards something that, you know, is really important that um, that you can really give cheerfully as well. 
Paul says, um, you know, that we are to, to seek the Lord first and then come up with the sacrificial gift. And then 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 alone we'll be able to give joyfully. You can give with great confidence and joy, knowing that you've met with the Lord. Each must give what he's decided in his heart. Um, you know, last week, one of our church leaders called me with her advanced commitment plague, pledge, and it was a six-figure pledge, and she said, is that okay? Now, some of you are thinking, Mark, don't be an idiot. It's six figures. It's okay. Um, my response was, I'm thankful, and it, it, in the end, it is an okay gift, but I pointed her to this verse here. This verse is that each one must give as he's decided in his own heart. Uh, if I'm going to tell you your gift is great or not great, that, that's putting you under a compulsion that doesn't come from above. I, I, can't, I can't test her heart or, or to see what, where her heart is. I, but here's what I do know. I know that she has been really involved in, in praying this through and meditating upon what God would have her do. I, I know that she's um, been, been um, at prayer meetings and going through all the material. She shared with me some of the things that she's been doing. She's even met with her accountant to make sure that her giving would be, she'd still be able to give to the general fund. So, I mean, what, what I saw is somebody who's being transformed by the gospel. And so, in my eyes, I, I think her giving is okay. But ultimately, it's not me who can decide whether someone's giving. I, you can show me an amount. I don't know if it's generous or sacrificial or cheerful, right? Only the Lord really knows what's in your heart. I don't want to be the pastor who binds someone's conscience and making them feel good or bad by their gifts. That should come from a relationship with the Lord and him speaking to you. But here's where we need to rejoice with this reality. We often think that we can that we must give in really large amounts in order to glorify God. What does this actually tell us, though? Tells us no. It tells us God is concerned with our with our attitudes, not our amounts. And for some of us, that's like hallelujah, because my mouth ain't all that great, but I really feel like I'm I'm in. <laughs> How wonderful is it to know that it's the joy in our hearts that brings glory to God, not the not the size of our gifts. It's the kind of God we serve. Now for the third reason, perhaps the greatest reason why we are able to give cheerfully is check this out. God supplies all that we need to be generous. I'm not joking on this. God supplies all that you need to be generous. What if I were to give you $1,000? I can't give it to all of you. That's a lot. But what if I were to give you $1,000 and I were to say, all right, in the next month, I want you to go out. And as the best that you can can come up with, um, seek to honor God with this money and um, help expand the kingdom. Would you like that? That'd be awesome. Do you think you could do that? I think you could. Perhaps you would throw a party at your house. Party? Really, Pastor? A party? Yeah, why not? Hospitality. Jesus went to parties. Bring people in. Share with them the love of Christ. Perhaps the, perhaps the, the guitar player in the band's playing an old borrowed used guitar. Maybe you buy them a new guitar. Maybe you know of a woman in the church, a single mom with kids, and could use a couple hundred dollars to... to Buy groceries. Maybe you, maybe there's a church plant you've been wanting to support. You could give some money towards that to support the church plant. So do you think you could do a good job? Do you think you could report back at the end of the month and say, Mark, look what, look what, what was, think it'd be cheerful? You'd be, you bet you'd be cheerful. You'd be like, God, you never guess what I was able to do. It was so exciting. All right? 
And I would, what if I were to give you another thousand dollars? Maybe the next month, two thousand or four thousand. This is what Paul's talking about. As a Christian, you don't have to wait for that day. This is your day right now. God has provided all you need to be generous. He calls us to steward our lives. That's what Paul is talking about here in this passage. In verses 8 through 11, check this out, how, how generous God is <clears throat> to give. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And then verse 10, um, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for your food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. And increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. These are the promises of Scripture to you, Christian. God is generous towards us so that we can be generous towards others. And when we generously give away, he generously resupplies us with all that we need to be generous. Let that sink in. Do you really believe that? Christian, do you believe that? Maybe this is new to you. Maybe you haven't heard this before. But this is what Scripture promises us. It's amazing. It really is amazing. If we really believe this, imagine. God is able to abundantly supply us with all we need. Do you notice how many times the word all was used here? And the word every in verse 8? Circle them. I mean, it's a lot. Why would Paul continually repeat the word all? Because he wants to make a point. These people were perhaps being reluctant to give. And Paul is saying, no, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency, when? In all times, uh, in all things, that you may abound in every good work. Now, all grace is broad in scope. Yeah, it certainly means that God provides the financial resources for you to give. But more so than that, God is so gracious. He gives us the, the, the gospel motivation and the longing and the desire. He gives us the ability to look outside our own little worlds and look towards others and towards God's kingdom and actually be different people. God is able to make all grace abound to us. <clears throat> Often our reluctance to give generously reflects our refusal to trust that God is all-sufficient and that his grace really truly abounds to us. We have a Heavenly Father who is in no short supply of anything. He's powerfully able to providentially do things in your life uh, in order to resupply you whenever you have any lack or need. A lot of us don't experience that because we, we don't give in this type of way. We give only when we have extra, and then when we don't have extra, we, we don't give, and then we don't find that we're being resupplied. But Paul really drives the point home in verse 11. He says, he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. I mean, you guys are smart enough to figure out what he's getting at, right? You, you know what he's saying? He's saying, the more you give, he's, God will resupply you and, and resupply you even more. Well, what about my, my needs? My, well, Paul makes sure he covers that. Did you notice? He who supplies seed to the sower. All right, God gives me something to give to other people. But what about my own needs? And bread for food. All right, you worried? He's gonna, that's another way of saying he's going to provide you a place to live, food, clothes to wear, gas for your car. You might be able to drive a fancy car, but you'll be taken care of. 
God provides the daily needs of his people to, so that you, as well as the resources we need to give generously elsewhere. That's God's promise. There's two promises that he will supply and multiply your seed. God will do that. If you've been around here for the last few weeks, or you've been a Christian long enough, you've experienced this. Other Christians have experienced this. But you've, you, you know, you commit to, to, to give generously and then something happens, right? And it makes it challenging and difficult. Last week, Bob Cathell shared how he and Debbie pledged to phase one of our building campaign. And it was a sacrifice, a stretch. And a few months later, all these bills, like huge things in their house were like breaking. And, and, uh, but what happened? There was a, uh, a, a bonus that wasn't expected. There was a gift that came that, that they weren't expecting. Now, some might just call this coincidence. But I believe it's what Paul is talking about. God providing and multiplying the seed. Providing for our daily bread so that we can be generous. The seed that we sow comes from him. It's his to begin with. And when we spread it liberally, he's pleased to give it to us. God's a generous God. He's a cheerful giver. He delights to give to his people so that we can give to people in kingdom purposes. There's another promise that, that in verse 10 says that it'll increase a harvest of your righteousness. Now, what does that mean? At least two different things. One, this is you being transformed in righteousness. This is you becoming more like Jesus. When you live more like Jesus, trust God more like Jesus, God's grace flows to you and, and you become transformed uh, in righteousness. Does that make sense? All right. And when we live this way, it really truly changes us. But not just that. There's another aspect of our righteousness, the uh, harvest of it. It's not just us, but the people around us or the community in which we live. Right. As we as we live this way, tell me if our neighbors aren't blessed by that. Tell me if God isn't blessed by that when we live this way. That's what Paul talks about in the final verses that that the Corinthians would overflow with their giving into the world. The Macedonians are going to be thanking God and praising God. They're going to be spurred on to give generously, too. And they're going to uh, we're going to they're, they're even praying for this church in Corinth. You know what? Most people around the world thought of Corinthians. What a bunch of sex maniacs, right? I mean, that's what they were. I mean, it was uh, they were known for their for the brothels and their promiscuity. The uh, you know there was a the, there was a, a verb to Corinthianize that was common. It meant you 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 partied hard and you slept around. And that, but here we got other churches. They're loving these Corinthians and praying for them, rejoicing over God's work in their lives. You see that in verse 11 and, and 12 and 13 and 14. As we are transformed by the gospel, our righteousness has a way of transforming the communities we're in. Jesus talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you are a light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put a lamp uh, under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to the whole house. And then Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I don't know if you noticed it throughout this end of this passage. It's continually talking about thanksgiving to God, that our lives of righteousness and giving is, is, provides a thanksgiving back to the one who gives us all things, uh, that it reflects his glory on this earth. Paul, Paul even says that it's, it's a testimony to our confession of the gospel in Jesus Christ. The fact that we are transformed this way tells us what? That we believe the gospel, right? 
Grace Presbyterian Church, we need to know that, that the surpassing grace of God is upon us. <laughs> he is having his transforming work in our lives. He is showing us that he will provide the seed uh, for the sowing. And as we believe this and live and give generously, we, we won't be in perpetual want of filling a barn, but we're going to be in perpetual rejoicing over the harvest of righteousness in our lives and in our communities. The question is, do you value more the harvest of righteousness than the storehouse of seed? Do you see why giving is really a spiritual endeavor? I don't want to coerce you to be a better giver. I want you to experience the grace of God. I want you to meditate more and more upon who Jesus is and how much you need him, what he's done for you. His promise to always be for you. His coming kingdom. You know, you can't, like they say, you can't take it with you. There's a country song that goes something like, uh, never seen a hearse with a toe hitch or something like that, right? I don't know. I do listen to country music. Don't let that, don't let that scare you off, though. And I also got a truck now, so. Anyway, that wraps up our sermon series on God's abounding grace and giving. I hope we see that God is not stingy with his grace. He is, he is lavish. He lavishes it upon us. His grace abounds to us. God gives generously. Therefore, we can be people who are generous givers. God gives sacrificially. Therefore, we can be people who truly give sacrificially. And God gives cheerfully. We could truly be people who give cheerfully. How can we not be cheerful when we see the principle that when we sow, we reap? That when we do so, he resupplies us. That he provides for all of our needs. And that his kingdom flourishes. Grace Presbyterian Church, the all-surpassing grace of God is upon us. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. These promises are really too good to be true, but we believe them. But we need your Holy Spirit to press them deeper into our souls. May we be people who are transformed by your grace, that we would give not out of compulsion, um, or demands, but rather we give willfully out of the joy of our hearts because that's how you give, Father. We want to be like you. Thank you, Jesus, that you forgive us when we fail in these areas and thank you that you also encourage us and spur us on uh, to do great things for you and your kingdom. Uh, we thank you. Amen.